Welcome to Generation Ag, a podcast for the future of agriculture. I'm Kayla. And I'm Lavinia. And we're a couple of young Aggies passionate about celebrating our industry and sharing the stories of people who work in it. Hi, hello guys, Vin here back again. Gosh, it feels like so long since I have been on the mic because it has been. Um, This episode with Liz that we're about to jump into was pre-recorded before all of the WA lockdowns and my plans had to change around because I'm off to Victoria or when you're listening to this, I will be in Melbourne because I am trying to get some exciting stuff across the line for Generation Ag. So fingers and toes crossed, guys, and also some other stuff with my other business too. Um, But it feels like so long since I've had a chat with you all. So I'm excited to be back and giving you this episode today. So I was super lucky to finally get Liz Brennan. Now, she's an absolute powerhouse in this country. She's a phenomenal woman. And to be able to tell her story is pretty brilliant. So Liz has facilitated a number of community and agricultural development programs and fresh produce marketing strategies in her home of WA in the Wheatbelt region and across Australia and Papua New Guinea, which we'll talk about a lot in this interview. And it's really, really fascinating because Liz has worked with the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade um, and she's helped facilitate all of these interesting projects. So she's got a variety of experience there. She's also led the marketing strategy and development for Mora Citrus and she She's also been on board with uh, companies like Bravo Apple, Family Tree Farms and Fruitico. I'm sure you know about it. She's on a variety of different boards, some of which some people might know, the Triple R Network, Amazing, um, Wide Open Agriculture, among a variety of others. She's got a huge bio. She's also been the board director of Australian Women in Agriculture for five years, being elected vice president, then president and company secretary. Uh, She's also about to jump on an exciting new project. We also chat about her master's in food security. It was an absolute pleasure uh, to do this interview. I was so honored that Liz has allowed me her time to do this. It was so exciting and yeah, it's it, it was kind of a bit of a dream come true and another amazing woman that I know myself, Kayla, and a lot of young women in agriculture around the country look forward to. So without further ado, let's jump into this interview with Liz and her full bio is going to be in our website and online as well. <laughs> Liz, welcome to the podcast. Lavinia, it's been a long time coming. Super excited to be on air with you. I know, a long time coming. You're literally on our list from the beginning. <laughs> We've had COVID in between and here we are because you're an amazing woman, may I say. I think that you are one of the biggest inspirations to myself and Kayla in the ag space. Like, you're, you're like, don't want to take the compliment, but take the compliment because I think a lot of people look up to you. Thank you. And it's actually, um, I'm getting more comfortable in acknowledging um, when someone does give me a compliment or, you know, an accolade. In um, A few years ago, I won an award and I was so uncomfortable with, there was an article written in the West Australian newspaper about by someone I didn't know. And, and they were singing my praises and it didn't feel like me. Yeah. And it was actually um, a young woman in ag who said to me a similar thing to what you've just said to me. And I realised that um, if I didn't kind of 
step into my own skin, own my space, it would actually not encourage other people to step forward. And mm. and certainly leadership in Triple R communities is really important to me mm. and ensuring that we have um, as diverse amount of people involved in decision-making about what happens in the country. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so taking a compliment, I'm now getting much more comp- uncomfortable with because I recognise that, yeah, I don't do the things I do for myself, I do them for other people. So um, it's... Yeah, if, if I can do anything to create a pathway for others, um, especially those that live in remote communities, all the better. And as well, I think it's really lovely to hear that because as a young person, there are so many people who are wanting to get involved in the agriculture industry in the leadership space, and we're going to talk more about it. But to know that in the beginning for you, it's always nerve-wracking. It's not like you just have this amazing confidence straight up you're you're building a network you'll you know you're in a room of these people and we'll talk about that as well that you don't know who are mostly men um and it can be very scary in the beginning absolutely and it was actually probably when a few years ago i was fortunate enough to do the australian rural leadership program and i got really clear about um because i come from a regional community there's always you know umpteen numbers a number of volunteer things you can get involved with and I was doing it all Mm. um and I got really puffed out and I got really fatigue set in burnt out all the rest of it and it was doing that program that I got a sense of clarity about where it is that I want to create the most impact Mm -hmm. and I got strategic about the kinds of positions that I wanted to do Mm -hmm. um you know, and I would do every couple of years, I'd do a big mind map of like, what am I interested? What really tickles my fancy? And sometimes it'd be, you know, really out of my comfort zone. Um, but it was something that I could see that I could create the biggest impact. So I'm leaning into circles and taking on positions that scare the pants off me. Um, but I know because it's come from a place of, no, this is where I say I can make the biggest impact. And also, I guess when you get into those positions, it can feel quite lonely. But yeah. But there are so many other people in the same space. And I find being really real and authentic and vulnerable when you're like, hey, I'm shaking in my boots. People are like, yeah, me too. <laughs> Let's shake in our boots together. And yeah. it's kind of recreate that solidarity. And especially because, you know, women um, have taken such strides in um, taking on and stepping into leadership positions, but mm. it is still quite um, – we're not in the. We're not. In, we haven't re- reached um, parity yet. We've got a long way to go. So yeah. finding kindred kindred spirits, finding your your tribe, your network, mm. um, because when you ta- when you take off, you know, chomp big bits of elephants, as that metaphor goes, it can be. You know, sometimes you choke a bit. You know, you need. You're not always going to be. You know, blazing and doing all the good things. Sometimes, well, not sometimes. I make mistakes all the time. So yeah. having that network is critical. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, we're here for it. So let's just go back to the beginning. Mm. Tell us about yourself and your upbringing and your life as a child. Yeah, sure. So I grew up in Wongan Hills and did my primary school education there. And it was always known from um, a young age that boarding school was on the agenda. Mm-hmm. Um, my um, parents went to boarding school. Um, and so it was always kind of, whilst Wongan does have... Um, high school up to year 10 and you do distance at year 11 and 12 it was just always I kind of assumed that we go out of boarding school which I did yeah um I was always quite an academic kid um loved um we so the farm at home um is broadacre cereal cropping sheep rotation uh, we had or piggery kind of started to get off the ground when I was a little kid mm-hmm. always loved um animals wanted to be a tiger tamer or a dolphin trainer or something like that um yeah always kind of 
warm to animals but you've got time <laughs> I know right but I hate chemistry so went to boarding school um and was quite an academic kid mm-hmm. um and leadership roles came naturally to me mm-hmm. um so when it got to year um year 11 um to choose your HRTE subjects at the time um I had a, a fair my father was quite influential and <laughs> insisted that I did chemistry and I um, almost failed year 12 because all my high school education because of that. Thanks, Dad. Yeah, thanks, Dad. No, no, no. It was a good lesson I needed to learn. So um, because of my lower TER results, I only had a handful of courses that I get, could get into at university. Um, I did actually – my second choice was studying at Muresk. Yeah. And my first was doing a Bachelor of Business, um, much to my dad's um, relief because yeah. he didn't really want me to go to Muresk. Um, yeah. And which, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. I'm sure that I would have thrived regardless. But I did mm. a Bachelor of Business um, and majored in Marketing and minored in Visual Arts. Yeah. So I always had that quite creative um, kind of side to me. Yeah. Um, was at that stage where I started working um, at a renewable energy company. So I got oh, okay. quite interested in renewable energy. Yeah. So I was teaching people how to make biodiesel. Mm-hmm. And for those that remember me back, oh, this would be the early thousands. So 2006, I think it was. Um, I was working for a company that was making biodies and we had a site at the Darren Field days and I was wearing this hideously yellow mustard t-shirt that said we want your fat and it was because we're making biodiesel out of used cooking oil and yeah. at the time we were using canola oil but then canola price went through the roof yeah so yeah so my career then kind of went on this winding trajectory um got into sports administration because I was playing high level netball at the time yeah then um, walked Kokoda with a boarding school mate of mine. So yeah. Kokoda Track in PNG. Fell in love with Papua New Guinea. Moved there for a couple of years as a volunteer. Uh, because of my marketing background, I ended up doing some um, work in tourism mm-hmm. for the um, Nash, uh, sorry, the well, the National Tourism Authority. And then, um, yeah, got to work on some really cool projects. One being the um, first PNG Indig- Indigenous Business Forum that was mm-hmm. held out the first time it's ever been held outside of the capital, Port Moresby. And in that, I got to um, rub shoulders with the PM, um, the Prime Minister, then Prime Minister of PNG. Got to pick him up at the airport, which was pretty cool. Um, but then also worked there with the um, PNG National Mask Festival and Varvagira, which had me actually become a little bit ashamed of being Australian because I mm-hmm. knew so much more about PNG culture mm-hmm. and knew so little about our Indigenous Australian culture. Mm. Um, so when it was time to leave PNG, um, Actually, it was there that I became quite interested in food security. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, became fascinated, you know, growing up in ag, in, in a broad acre sense in West Australia, where we we're some of the best dryland ag- agriculturalists in the world. Mm-hmm. And I went to a place that had not, you know, 20 mil or 200 mil or like mm. two inches it was like 2,000 mils of rain yeah. a year yeah and I lived in a village people would just like look at me this crazy white lady just <laughs> marveling at the wet stuff coming out of the sky and yeah it was through that that I became interested in how PNG had um, developed the food system it had mm-hmm. and then started a master's in food security and I felt like I'd come a bit full circle to ag yeah um because i had become so interested in food security it's kind of that nexus between international development and community development and how people feed each other so there's this productivity component with ag yeah absolutely and then yeah came back to australia worked in ag then regional development and then back in the family business so i mentioned that we live in 
I lived in Wongan, but we've always had this farm in Mora that was yeah. also like a sheep and wheat farm. Yeah. Um, but about 20 years ago, we dug a deep hole, struck liquid gold in water, and that kind of um, was the catalyst for Mora citrus. Mm. So the largest or second largest citrus orchard in WA. So I came back and managed the marketing for there for Mora citrus for a couple of years. And then because of that, I kind of elevated and I took on some board positions. Yeah. So it was, yeah, that. And here you kind of and are. And here, here I kind of am. And like the kind of work I do now is a bit of a combination of all of those things um, in ag development um, and fresh produce marketing, regional development. And I guess I've not really thought about why leadership, but I guess what I love about being involved in ag is that there is such diversity. And for those that are willing, having the the um, I call them crunchy conversations, like having the hard conversations about how we're going to feed the world in the context mm. of food security, mm. but also how we're going to tackle the challenge that is climate change. Yep. And I think we need more people to be willing to have the crunchy conversations in ag because ag can contribute so much. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that that's a full circle. It's, mm. I always find it fascinating how everyone comes back to ag, mm. uh, but it's also, it's almost an accident. Like yeah. it, it wasn't intentional, was it? You, no, you never not planned at all. on it. No, and I think it was that that natural curiosity growing up on the farm, being quite a practical person, very systems thinking, I guess. Yeah. Um, that yeah, when I was in PNG, I um just got curious. I was like, yeah. but how do you do the thing? Like, how, yeah. what do you mean you grow sweet potato? Like, <laughs> what does that look like? And yeah. What do you mean that you know? That's why I love this podcast. Yeah. You get to talk to like ag from broadacre and you would feel the same it's like it's just cropping and yeah. some livestock and yeah. you don't know ag is huge it's Absolutely. such an industry yep and it's funny like i got an email yesterday um so one of my board roles with wide open ag it's a regenerative food and farming company and we've um recently launched an oat milk product um yeah using um regeneratively grown wa oats and so now we're, um, whilst that's kind of um, the market share is growing in WA, we're looking at diversifying the um, product offering and developing a um, coffee milk and a chalk milk. How cool. And so I, t- I tasted our, um, um, some of our products in product development yesterday and um, I, our, one of the staff was like, oh, so what do you think? And I was like, this, this is amazing. And I was talking to her about the, co- the cocoa notes. Anyway, I don't think she realised that in my other life, my yeah. current work in PNG, yeah. I coordinate two cocoa projects. Yeah. And so she's contacted a chocolate maker in Margaret River, Gabrielle. Yeah. And he's like, oh, I saw on your board Liz Brennan. We met in Bougainville in PNG at a yeah. chocolate festival, you know. And so it is so diverse. Yeah. And it's it's even bizarre to think that, you know, one of the boards that I'm on here in WA has got a connection back in PNG. That's how small the world is, isn't it? Absolutely. Amazing. Mm. And I guess that leads perfectly into PNG because you are working um, on a multidisciplinary agricultural research program. Can you talk about that and how that all came about and what is that? Yeah. So um, when I lived in country, as I said, I got interested in food security and um, I went to a festival up in the mountains where I was living and it was hosted by the National Ag Research Institute in PNG. And it was with this organisation called the Australian Centre for International Agricultural Research, ACR. And I saw the stuff they were doing amazing work with grassroots farmers like yeah. and often aid and development in developing nations misses the mark yeah and when yeah. i saw acr i was like these this mob are doing amazing work mm. i want to work for them yeah and it like 
emailed them and was like, oh, I've just come across some of your project work in the New Guinea Islands. You're amazing. Can I work for you? Kind of just, you know, sweet and innocent. Just for anyone listening, listen back. Liz emailed them. Like that's, <laughs> yeah. this is the thing. Sorry to take over for a second. No. But that's really important to know yeah. that you sort of put your put your foot forward and said hello I'm yeah. here yep and I have no like up until that I was not a researcher but I could see that there was a need like because research for research sake is really important because yeah. you need to know what works and what doesn't work yeah but the communication the application the extension the people stuff mm-hmm. so important yeah. and I could see a need or a gap there yeah and um, a friend of mine introduced me to the country manager in PNG for ACR. Mm-hmm. And it was like five years later. So that, it took me that long to get work with them. Yeah. And I got an email out of the blue saying, hey, we're doing this thing. We've never done it before. And we need a program coordinator. Are you interested? Absolutely. Whatever. Like yeah. that sounds amazing. And it's based in PNG. Yeah. So effectively what the program is. So as I said before, um, not that it's – well, yeah, research – one of ACR – um, facilitates as kind of a broker mm. um, between um, a number of different uh, research agencies and, and funders, largely the Australian government, mm. gets really strategic about what's needed in country yeah. and what the um, the Australian research community can offer to solve or to work with the partner country to solve that issue. So yeah. um, there's very distinct um, projects focusing on, you know, for example, as I mentioned before, sweet potato. So mm. sweet potato disease or sweet potato productivity yeah. or markets that the spectrum is quite broad, um, horticulture, fisheries, forestry, um, social sciences. And the product, uh, so the projects are broad in nature, but they are also quite specific. Yeah. And so ACR was curious to see whether there's any merit of bringing diverse projects together in a geographical location mm-hmm. to share knowledge, to share, to share lessons learned, to see if there's opportunities for collaboration. It had never been done before, which mm-hmm. sounds quite common sense, but, you know, Often the research questions were quite specific. So why yeah. would you want to share yeah. things? But it's actually yeah. what we've found is that it's been hugely useful. Yeah. So researchers working, you know, really specifically on a virus in sweet potato, getting to rub shoulders with people working on market development in a native nut. Mm. It broadens your horizon, your perspective, your understanding of um, why you know, solving X is important to impacting Y. Mm. Um, so, yeah, my role has kind of been the glue between these um, five research projects mm-hmm. focusing on sweet potato, which is the um, main food crop mm. for PNG, also main cash crop yeah. um, and food source. Cocoa, two cocoa projects, a native nut and a social sciences project. Mm. Um, so the program's run for about five years now and it's in the tail end of its work um, and uh, in the tail end of the program rather. And um, yeah, so it's been a hugely valuable, um, I guess, pilot for yeah. ACR and they have now they've we're actually going through an evaluation to see whether the merit of it and the unintended consequences have been long. Yeah. and positive impact so it's yeah. really heartening that you know and you know the same thing applies in australia we are wonderful at creating silos for research yeah and not you know we're not so great at extension yeah. not so great at collaboration like we think we are but mm. um there's certainly we call it funding the arrows it's not mm-hmm. just funding the you know the research for example into wheat rust it's like well you know what is it um, what are the other elements within the grains industry that this has a flow-on effect to? Mm-hmm. Or could there be other, you know, work in terms of upskilling the 
I guess, developing the human capacity mm-hmm. of the mm-hmm. ag industry. So it's kind of, yeah, it's it's much more holistic. Yeah. I think R&D is an interesting topic because it is it is so valuable and there's so many means. And, and then it's taking that research and taking all of those streams and then turning it into an outcome which can help everyone. And that's also a tough part of it as well. Yeah. So moving forward with that, what what's the – are you continuing after this program or will it develop into mm. a new sort of program where it's unsure at this stage unsure at this stage and um fortunately unfortunately it's a lot to do with funding so you know these programs are not um well certainly an acr project is a significant investment um, Mm. financial investment but and covid has impacted the way that acr does business yeah um and because it is so the i guess the juiciness of the research projects and this particular program are really in that human interaction so not being yeah. able to travel and bring people together yeah it's tricky yeah so acr is going through a bit of a, a genesis at the moment a yeah. regenesis and yeah. um the program will conclude at the end of the year mm. what what happens next will be kind of a bit of an evolving beast at the moment yeah COVID's been wonderful because it's enabled a lot of our PNG counterparts to step up to take on leadership yeah. roles and 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 um, yeah really lean into opportunities. But also yeah, it comes with a cost as well. Not yeah, have to travel. Yeah, COVID is a tough one. I'd love to move along to food security. Obviously, you studied your masters in it, which is phenomenal. But can we talk about food security? Why it is so important? What is it? And what is the future of food security in Australia? From your opinion? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so, yeah, when I lived in PNG, it was the first time I really got a glimpse into the realities of food security, especially for a developing nation. And it was actually when I lived in country that I, I guess growing up in Australia, we are, we're an export nation. So we have this abundance of food and I can't recall what the stats are, but we produce food for enough, you know, I think it's seven, six or seven times the amount of people yeah, sounds about right yeah well, and most our grain gets exported yeah exactly and and so i'd always thought that we were great agriculturalists which we are mm. but that we we're really food secure and it was not until i moved to png and the the food system and i guess the because it's they don't have an export market or the, sorry they do have an export market for cocoa and coffee yeah. and those kinds of things but otherwise it's quite um subsistence farming so mm. kind of um producing enough food for you and your family to eat yeah but arguably, I saw there was actually a lot more food secure in some in some respects. And so mm-hmm. what I mean about food secure is that – so food security is about access and availability. And yeah. access can look like a physical access, but it can also look like economic and social access as well. Mm. Um, and of nutritious food of your choice. Mm-hmm. So some people have particular preferences. Um, so, yeah, it, food security is – um, when all of those things are met, that, mm. that is kind of uh, means that you are a food secure individual nation, etc. Mm. Um, and I saw this wonderful, intricate, um, familial system, I guess you'd say, of people producing and consuming food in a really localized level. Mm. And traditional diet was, you know, providing enough nutrition, etc. Mm-hmm. And it, I was like, but, 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 but Australia, like we are, you know, we are the the big brother to PNG yeah. Yeah. in a lot geopolitically. Yeah. And I was like, but, 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 and I got really curious. And then, so that's why I started, that was a catalyst for starting my master's. Um, But I look at probably, for me, food security has come back into a sharp focus in in light of COVID. Yeah, absolutely. Because we saw... um, We saw the toilet paper epidemic. Absolutely. And people like this real, we couldn't, 
logistical systems broke down Mm -hmm. and we couldn't, you know, move food around like we had because drivers were, you know, I mean, yes, they were essential services, but we, you know, the food system really stalled. Mm, Absolutely. Especially for dry goods, like dramatically. And, and so it, it's like, like Corona certainly I think brought into sharp focus for a lot of people in Australia, a food secure nation that whilst we have enough food, it's the access and the way in which our system is designed to be so um, aggregated and commodified, mm-hmm. we actually have very few local food systems, unlike PNG. Especially WA. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't realise that most of the grain in Western Australia gets exported to China or there's like a few other branches now, but like all our wheat is milled over east all our flour comes from over east pretty much Mm. like things like that basic essentials because like let's get rid of the things that are non-essentials those are kind of the essentials to make bread like it's crazy Mm. and and the amount of little notices that uh, the the major supermarkets put up last year saying oh sorry we don't have any tomatoes or sorry we don't because you know most of the tomatoes are grown in south australia yeah you know sorry we don't have any mangoes because even though they're grown up north in wa they come via South Australia. Yeah. And so when the Nullarbor, like when our logistical system breaks down, food security is impacted. Yeah. Yep. And as we heard at um, the Triple R Roundtable the other week, so Rural Regional Remote Women's Network Roundtable, um, from the Regional Chambers of Commerce, we saw that people at regional businesses started to look a lot more locally and figuring out mm-hmm. ways of working together to solve business problems mm-hmm. or, um, you know, to generate business because mm. we lost so many markets and the same can be said for food. Mm. So, um, yeah, it's – so for me um, it was really – and I saw COVID as a real opportunity to shine the light on or have people think about, especially it was the supermarkets often the only people, the touch point that the general consumer has to mm-hmm. food. Absolutely. And, and when that is a very visual representation of, well, okay, we're not having tomatoes, okay, we can't have – you know, loose English spinach because that's largely picked, packed and processed in Victoria. Yeah. Are we really food secure? And our developing nation younger brother or sister actually survived quite well. Yeah, it's concerning. It's, I mm. mean, that's great because there are, there are things like what you're doing, you know, you've got more citrus, which you're mm. a part of, thankfully, Western Australia, and also Wide Open Ag, which mm. is a whole other entity that I think anyone who's listening should go and have a look at because yep. that's very interesting. Um, but, yeah, we still don't have enough in WA or each day individually to feed our country, you know, the next day. Yeah. And, yeah, there's definitely I, – I, we – don't hear on national media publications about how much is coming across the Nullarbor. Like when they closed the Nullarbor because of the fires, mm. um, we in Western Australia knew what was going on, or in Esperance particularly, like because we that's all we rely on for food all comes across the Nullarbor. I think some of it in other areas does come from Perth. Um, but people in other states had no idea what's going on. Yep. And we don't talk about it enough. So I think it is interesting that we do start having these conversations and, you know, future moving forward, how are we going to facilitate this if we have another pandemic, which is more than likely? Yep, absolutely. And I think one thing um, that I really uh, rail against is a sense of blame. Like it's not the major supermarket's fault. No. I mean, yes, they are 
as Maybe accountable. Just paper. Well, but even like, but, but that's all consumers. That's yeah. all consumers, and like, that's, that's a scary that's thing. That's not as well. like that's not the major supermarkets. Mm. Um, I mean, we have a just-in-time logistical system, mm. which is why we also met um, some of those challenges with supply yeah. of, of fresh produce or otherwise. But it is actually up to each and every one of us. Like it's, I, I think growing up in a small community, I really, I really value that if you, if you want to see a change, there's no point pointing the finger of blame. You've got to put your hand up to do something about yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. And the responsibility and the accountability lies with each and every human about how it is that we purchase, how it is that we consume. Mm. And for those that are um, fortunate enough to farm, how it is that we produce. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Totally agree. I want to change directions now and talk about AgDots, which mm. is another com- component of your career. <laughs> yep. I need to ask later how you do it all. Yep. Can you tell us about AgDots, what it is, what your job mm. role is, what you guys are up to with that? Yeah, sure. So AgDots, so my business partner, Sue Middleton, and I have worked in the same spaces um, and I guess on the same, same kinds of projects for a number of years. Yeah. Um, and it was really a reckoning or a realisation that, okay, so if we combine forces, what is it could be we could really get up to? Like what's the impact that we want to have? We have a set of experiences. Yeah. Um, in um, our respective careers and have some very powerful networks like where where it is what are the le- leverage points how it is yeah. can we get strategic about creating a future for regional communities and for the ag industry so whilst um neither of us are really with our plates are full <laughs> not really looking for more work ag dots as um a business really evolved because we want to get more strategic. Yeah. So at the moment, we are having conversations with um, large businesses, with fam- um, farming families yeah. around, um, okay, so you want to position yourself for growth? Like if you're, you know, WA business, what is – learn from us what we went through with Mora Citrus um, because there were so few people that had done it at that stage. Yeah. How yeah. it is that can, can we help you position yourself to grow as a, a local business yeah. and a farming family as well? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that's what that's how kind of AgDots has developed, mm. um, and the kinds of I mean, by virtue of um, our collective experiences, it will be you know I've got skill set in fresh produce marketing, so amazing business developer, very mm. in, in the context of um, industry development, wickedly st- strategic. Mm. So they're the kinds of things that we're looking to get involved with, um, and yeah, AgDots will continue to position itself ourselves in that pos- uh, in in um yeah i guess in that area yeah um and get work on more projects yeah bring people together ask the as i said before ask the crunchy questions so what's missing because we do have whilst the ag industry is quite diverse we can sometimes have quite insular thinking yes yes i think that that's really important and it's that time now where the agricultural industry is changing as a whole and people are looking forward to the future and traditional farm family farming is changing and it's either i think a lot of people are realizing you get on board and you start to develop those changes and think about things like sustainable farming climate and you know succession planning appropriately or you're going to be pushed out yep and that's how realistic it is. Yeah. And for you guys to put your brains together and your experience and to provide and facilitate for people to do similar things but with their specific sort of agenda is amazing. Yeah. 
That's incredible. I think that that's really interesting. It'll yep. be interesting. I did read a few of the projects you guys have been involved with. It's a variety of things. Yeah. Like it's not just sort of ag, it's also regional development, which Absolutely. is important as well. Yep. Well, without the regional communities, the ag industry in regional areas um, won't be sustained. Yeah. I, um, it's so critical that we have our social infrastructure. So when families come to regional towns, yeah. there are the education opportunities, the medical facilities, um, even things, you know, as simple as childcare, yeah. which enables both partners in the farming business to um, value add to the farming business, yeah, not absolutely. just the because often caring um, kind of defaults to the women in the, in the partnership. Yeah. So yeah. having th- simple things like that, yeah. which a lot of our city cousins take for granted, is so critical. Mm. Yeah. Oh, I just am thinking about some um, interesting times of my childcare. <laughs> oh, gosh, the stories. Yes, times have, times have changed. They have. <laughs> um, iconic. But it's so true, though. Uh, even... Um, going back to the triple R round table, and I think this is a problem across the country, but there are that many towns regionally in West Australia, and I think it is across the nation, that don't even have places where people can rent. Like there's no affordable housing. Well, I think there's even a crisis in Perth at the Mm. moment, but post COVID, there's a problem throughout Australia for regional development in terms, if we can't even house these people, why Mm. are they gonna wanna move to regional places? Yep. And it's as simple as that. Yep. That, and that's the things where, hopefully with the evolution of things that you're offering with things like ag dots we can help evolve these regional towns so we can see the growth Mm. because there's so many amazing regional people Mm. there are and i think so two things on that i um don't take for granted growing up in wongan hills wongan um i am obviously very biased um but (laughs) we have you know some of the highest volunteer per capita we Mm. are a very can-do attitude town Mm. And that, when you drive through, even driving through the wheat belt, you can tell when you drive through a town, you're like, this town is up to stuff or this town, you know, has lost some key people and mm. it's not up to stuff. Yeah. So they're not up to stuff rather. So I think, um, you know, whilst the physical infrastructure is really important, ensuring that the human capacity of a town is well-developed, well-resourced, well-supported mm. is equally, if not more important um, because, you know, there are you've got to have that mentality yeah. of a I guess a growth mindset rather mm-hmm. than a deficit mindset because yeah. it's really easy to go well it's easy in the city or it's like easier for our city cousins okay so what is it with our comparative advantages in the region in the regions mm-hmm. what it is that we can do with the resources yeah, absolutely um and look to developing it yourself yes where possible and where plausible seek external support whether it's through um financing or through government grants but Mm -hmm. you've got to be able to drive from within yeah absolutely agree i'd like to move back towards leadership Mm. because you were recently appointed as the country to canberra champion with a few others tell us about this program what does it entail what you're actually doing Mm. and why it's really important yeah sure so um part of the reason why i said yes to um I guess being an ambassador, being a champion for country to Canberra is that um, years ago I was on the board for Australian Women in Agriculture Mm -hmm. and had the opportunity to travel to Canberra and I was very young and naive and all the things but fortuitously there's this – these stalwarts in Australian women in ag that have been 
very active politically over you know a number of decades to ensure that women's voices are heard in parliament mm. and um not even as MPs but also um I guess contributing to discussions about regional communities mm. um and yeah I was fortunate enough to travel to Canberra and had the opportunity to be in the room with you know ministers mm. of you know women's affairs, of international development, of, you know, telecommunications. of, And yeah. we had opportunity to go and present, um, I guess, business cases or yeah. policy statements um, yeah. to key people, policy advisors or whatnot. Yeah. And it was then that I realised you can do this. Like mm. I had no idea that you could actually influence decision-making. I had no idea. I just kind of thought that other people did that or that there was no channel to do so. The kind yeah. of politicians and those that were making decisions about the country seemed so distant. Yeah. And I saw how powerful it was. And I developed my muscle, I guess, of having um, connecting with people in positions of power, but also finding ways to communicate powerfully about what it is that's needed in regional communities in that context. And in, or sorry, in that context, it was for women in agriculture. Yeah. And so... That was a very critical part of my career development, but also um, and supporting other initiatives that enabled women or regional communities and women or whomever it is to access that kind of um, um, have have that kind of influence. And when I saw Country to Canberra develop as a as an idea, Mm. as an organisation, and then saw that they were developing programs that enabled young women in regional communities whom otherwise had no, a bit like me, had no idea and no access to that kind of um, opportunity. But also importantly, a bit like the um, journey that I had, developing leadership skills Mm. to be able to represent triple R communities. Mm. And as a young woman, that's almost, it's like the only opportunity that I know of that has that direct connection. Yeah, it's amazing. So the kinds of programs, so when, um, when I was approached by Country to Canberra to be a champion for their programs i was um sign me up i'm i'm in this is amazing i would love to be involved and Mm. so the kinds of things um i kind of touched on it the kinds of programs that um country to canberra run leadership programs um they have a leadership competition which um pre-covid um enabled young women from right across australia young women um to travel to Canberra and mm. that program looked like a whole range of different things, resilient workshops, self-esteem, yeah, amazing. Um, leadership breakfast, whatnot. There's also a mentoring program, um, a whole range of um, opportunities to have your voice heard, whether it's rather blogs or whatnot. Mm. But um, most recently developed a youth advisory council as well so that um, policymakers and those in positions of power actually hear firsthand what it's like for a triple R young woman from across Australia. Yeah. Um, and what policy implications that, um, you know, those that are making decisions have. Yeah, I think that that's so important to have that because often you feel like you're doing all this work and you're doing all this advocacy and you're having your opinion heard and it's not being heard. And I think we're in a time now where we're seeing women's voices being appreciated Mm. and being understood and it's time for us to have our opinion and share it because times are changing and things are happening and it's really really critical time for people who have an opinion to share it and actually put their hand up and not necessarily those people who are already a leader it's it could be open to anyone. If you're a young woman throughout the country, anywhere Mm. listening Mm. and you feel like you have something that you want to share, it's put your hand up yep 
absolutely I couldn't and a bit like I was saying earlier yeah it's nerve-wracking and yeah you're gonna stumble and like I remember meeting Malcolm Turnbull before he became prime minister and I said something really stupid he won't remember this thankfully um (laughs) but but that's okay like you've got to start somewhere and you're gonna say silly things and it's and it's he doesn't have the country banter like us (laughs) no 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 he doesn't um and I've got a really prominent farm voice so um you can hear me down the halls of of parliament quite easily but I learned that lesson too um (laughs) But, um, yeah, you're not going to get it right. And it's like I have this – I often relate when I bugger something up, I'm like, okay, that's a muscle I need to strengthen. Yeah. And learn from it and move on. Yeah. That's um, such a good attitude to have. Yeah. Because otherwise you can dwell on the negative. Exactly. And the little negative voice, a bit like we are talking about with compliments, like the negative – you can hear the negative things really loudly. But Malcolm Turnbull won't have remembered that. No. Like he probably would have met, remembered me, you know, bouncing in the room. G'day, how are you going? And, you know, I guess that's, you know, you take from it. And we had great policy papers that we were presenting. So he's not going to remember that I stumbled my sentence or whatnot. Yeah. But, of course, that's what I remember. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And it's that one little thing. I hear that quote a lot. If it uh, – don't spend more than five minutes thinking about it if it won't matter in five years' time. Yeah. But it's like you have to keep reminding yourself of that. Yep. Because no, it doesn't matter that much and you have to make mistakes to learn. Absolutely. Oh, so good. I'm so excited for you. I'm excited to keep watching what happens because it's such a cool program. You've been on a variety of boards slash you are on a variety of boards, including Wide Open Ag, Triple R Network. You've previously been the president of the Australian Women in Ag, to name a few. I mean, there's a few more that we could name. We won't mm. go there. Mm. But can you... To young women like myself, and there are so many young women who listen to this podcast, what is your biggest piece of advice for women who want to be in these leadership positions, you know, in five, ten years or even now? Because I know Mm. you've spoken a lot about that, um, being a young woman, and people are looking for people on boards for diversity purposes, but also for the value of you and what you have in terms of Mm. your understanding. What's your piece of advice you give? Mm. That's such a good question. Hmm. Sorry, big, big question. Yeah, no. Oh, man, I love big questions, big picture thinking. So I've touched on how I get strategic about where it is that I can make the biggest impact. Yeah. Because I feel as though um, being authentic is my the biggest value that I live by. Mm. Um, and so I find it really hard to be in spaces where I can't be myself. Yeah. Um, which is why I, I take very seriously kind of, and it's just a mind map, it's nothing spectacular, but it's kind of like, where is it that resonates with me? What do I want to learn? Where, where do I want to be? Yeah. And when you align yourself with things that you enjoy, it's like manifests in so many different ways. And it's yeah. like, you actually, you show up in different spaces. Yeah. Um, because leadership, so I guess, unfortunately, for women, there's still a few stumbling blocks and mm-hmm. I've taken very seriously, I guess, getting the right skills, doing the right leadership programs. Yeah. And whilst that's given me – and it has given me skills and um, particular tools to use in, ter- in certain contexts, um, it's actually more than anything giving me confidence. Yeah. Um, and and which sounds trivial but it's so true because you, you want to be able to go into a board meeting – and kind of go, I know what I know, I know what I don't know, mm. and I'm confident of what I own. Yeah. Because no one wants you to be there and be like, I know it all, and you know, yeah. I have something to say on everything, because that's mm. actually not useful at all. Yeah. Um so I guess it would be 
with the benefit of hindsight, and I guess this links to what I was saying before about being getting strategic about where you want to be, saying yes to things is really important. Yeah. Like getting um, – because often um, so many – so many, all of my leadership positions have been people tapping me on the shoulder. Yeah. And I could say yes to everything, but I'm only one human. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, as I've mentioned before, burnout's a real reality for yeah. people that are up to stuff yeah. or for anyone, oh. for anyone. Yeah. So it's equally as critical to say, to learn how to say no and be really um, confident in what it is that you want to say no to. So hence that kind of strategic mapping thing. Yeah. Um. The other thing that is has been really critical for my leadership journey has been people ha- surrounding getting people, and I guess I'd call them my mentors. I've never really had a formal mentor, but it's people mm. who I turn to when the wheels fall off. Yeah, and I can be like, so I said this thing and it went down like a lead balloon, <laughs> or I I diminished myself in that situation. How could have I have handled that better? Yeah, or I feel really under prepared and overwhelmed or all of the things and people to be really candid with you yeah because there's nothing worse than a hot air compliment which is like you're amazing and me 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 but it's actually so like it's full of hot air like it's not that critical sometimes of someone outside your direct circle to tell you or observe something yeah because that's how you get better yep absolutely so and i mentioned it before building that network around you of people that you can turn to when the wheels are falling off or where you need to um, unpack something. Mm. Go And I guess the other thing, actually probably the biggest thing in my um, leadership development has been, um, have been people. Mm. Developing skills that enable you to have those crunchy conversations but also – Finding a way in which you can ask the question that no one else wants to ask mm-hmm. um, or that you're kind of dancing around and mm. that I can I see that in strategy discussions. Mm-hmm. I see that in having to deal with difficult difficult people you're working with, yeah, having to deal with really challenging issues like if there's a um, bullying something that happens in a workplace mm-hmm. like no one's productive when that's the case yeah and and that's also. You know, I can see that in our family, not that we've had an incidence that I'm aware of of bullying, but in family business, it's possibly even amplified and even harder. Oh, And you 100%. have to be, um, yeah, like you have to be able to, in a really um, sensitive way, because there's a family, you've got to live and work with them and play with them often. Yep. Developing those, yeah, those skills to be able to have... Um, yeah really honest conversations with other people but also with yourself yeah absolutely god that is such a important one and one that not enough people look at and I think that that's really important before we wrap it up Mm. I would love to know for women women who are rural women Mm. and for women in agriculture what is your hope for the future of agriculture or industry So I think, um, as I've mentioned before, my driver in life is creating a food secure world. Mm. And the only way I see that is if we have as many diverse brains solving that problem for us to give up as individuals and as an industry being right, 
you know, we, this is a, this is a collective in the context of food security, but even in climate change, you know, geopolitics, we have to work collectively and collaboratively and we need as many diverse people as possible because we've seen the same figureheads, the same, um, egos in decision positions of power making decisions um that affect a whole range of people and we're forgetting a lot of people people are going hungry yeah a lot of injustice yeah um you know those kinds of things so to unlock that um it's a bit of a supply and demand for me um Mm -hmm. and that's you know ensuring that women have the confidence and capacity to take on leadership positions Mm -hmm. But it's also creating space for that. So that's the, you know, the demand, the demand side in that. And and this is not just for women as well. This is from people, for people with diverse backgrounds, not just around um, gender. You know, I'm a privileged white woman. Mm-hmm. For other people to step into this space, I need to create space. So yes, yeah. that sometimes means giving up some of my positions of power yeah um so yeah so for me it's it's both a supply and demand um we have to make space and we have to recognize we'll use our privilege for good I guess you'd yeah. say and yeah. in some cases give it up yeah so yeah so um diversity is going to be diverse thinking diverse people diverse solutions um responses to how it is that we're going to ensure that this planet continues to to sustain all of the amazing things that we do Mm -hmm. yeah amazing i think that that's so important and before we wrap it up for anyone wanting to get in touch where should they find you um you can find me on linkedin or twitter um they're probably the two platforms that i use the most and um, professionally connect via um so my um handle actually on most of my socials i think is amoeba but it's e-a-b so a-m-o-e-a-b-a why EAB? We'll lose it. Leave it in the show notes. Yeah, please do. Elizabeth Ann Brennan. Hence yeah. the, yeah. You've just gone for the own initials. Yep. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much, Liz. This You're has so been welcome. such an enlightening conversation. Enlightening conversation. I think that we've touched on some really amazing points. And I think so many people will get so much value out of following you and mm. being a part of what you are helping to create, which is a bigger industry for women in agriculture. I think you've played a huge mm. role for young women leading the pathway in Western Australia and Australia. And I think that you're doing an amazing job and it's really commendable. Thank you so much. And um, yeah, it's my journey has not been linear. I wouldn't wish it any other way, Um, but it's certainly been following my, um, my inner compass to get where I am. Yeah. I hope I continue to do so. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Generation Ag. We hope you loved it. If you did, don't forget to visit our guest bios page on our website where you can get all of their contact information. And if you have an idea for another guest in the future or a story that you want to hear, you can get in touch with us via our email, which is hello at generationag.com.au. Don't forget to follow us on our socials at generation.ag. That's Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. And if you've loved this episode as well, you can share it with your friends on your socials and make sure to subscribe to us on the podcast app and leave us a review because that all really helps as well. Thanks, guys. Bye.